Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right, and it's the NFL Draft is tomorrow, so we're going to do an hour of draft-related action and including a best bet as we're still socially distanced. Steve Fezzik in studio, R.J. Bell at home. It's mid-80s here, and I'm trying to debate. Do you turn the air conditioner on? Faz, I'm one of those stubborn dudes. I don't want to turn the air conditioner on too early, but I got sweat pouring down. I was thinking of taking my shirt off, but I just don't think that does anyone any good. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing that you've got the air conditioner on at the Fezzik Mansion when it hits 65 out. <laughs> yeah, I'm... A big believer in climate control. Yeah, who gives a f about Mother Earth, and right? That, you know what? And that flies contrarian. They say, like, when it's a hundred degrees during the summer, that you should try to like get by, like, at seventy six or whatever at a higher temperature. Well, so th- you know what I find fascinating is that seventy six is what your higher temperature is. <laughs> yes, like the Astrodome, which they played football in, was seventy two. So for you to sit and look at a computer screen and eat. You, you figure you could go four degrees more, and that's you going extreme. When we go on vacation, RJ, it is a point of contention that my wife wants to keep the temperature at like 86 degrees. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? We don't even have to put the air conditioning on. Just turn it all off. And she's like, no, there will be like irreparable damage done okay, if we so, let the so temp wait, go I above thought, that. I actually thought where you were going there— was you wanted it like 76, so when you came in after the week or whatever, you didn't have to deal with the 10 minutes it would take to cool things down. But you're saying, you're saying turn it off totally, and she's saying keep, a de- you know, keep it where it's not, doesn't get blistering. Exactly She's right, right though. Yeah. No, no, so I mean, is. electronic equipment. Matt can speak to this producer, Matt Hollywood, Matt, some would call him. Hollywood Matt. Equipment shouldn't be very hot. It should not, and should be well ventilated. Yeah, so that's an example where, like, even like at pregame when we shut down for the night and people aren't back for whatever twelve hours, whatever it might be, is you know I usually I make it like eighty three, like you know that's been what I've done historically. So that way the equipment doesn't get way hot, but you obviously are helping Mother Earth. Here's what I'm interested in though, Fez. You love money. You're indifferent to Mother Earth, obviously, but you have a sense. If anything, you're the type like Tony Soprano, as they depicted in the last season of The Sopranos, where he doesn't have true human emotions, so he connects to things like pets and children. And I've noticed that you love animals and you love children, like Tony Soprano. Humans or other adult humans, not so much. But mother, like a love of the environment feels like something you could attach yourself to that would make you feel more human. And in truth, you wouldn't have to do anything to kind of just blah, blah, blah about it. Why haven't you done that yet? Gosh, you know, RJ, I think I love fake nature, not real nature. You know, I know you don't like nature. There's no money there. What I'm saying is why not fake it? 
Because in truth, most of the things you act like you care about, you don't really care about anyway, other than money. So why not add in nature? Prime directive this year, nothing but the truth. 100% the truth. No, 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 no. Here's, I agree with that generally, but I will say this. I think we play a little fun one-year prank on everyone. All right? If you're listening right now, you're in on it. If you're not listening right now, you're ignorant. Fez, for the next year, once a week at least, I want we'll play. You know, I'll help you with the 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 things you want to say. You're going to talk about your love of the environment. We can talk about you donating money to like that WWF. It can be about hey, you um, you know, we won't again. We won't. We don't want to lie, lie like that because again, you're right. It's all about the truth. But you can say things like you know, I've been uh, thinking about um, volunteering some time. You know, and. Everyone listening right now can just laugh because they're going to see that you're, you say these things no differently than you say anything else. And then they're going to start wondering, what's he telling the truth about? And you know something? I'm wondering the same thing <laughs> when you are. So this is going to be great. I'm, I'm telling you, for one, for the majority of people that aren't listening this second, Steve, you're going to they're going to really like you more because everyone loves the environment. I think I'm going to adopt the bighorn sheep. I believe that that's the animal for the state of Nevada and see if there's some kind of a charity that looks to support our state animal. And how see see how good this is. How cool. (laughs) How cool is that, RJ, when you drive up to like Boulder Creek and you can see some bighorn sheep, um, it's they're really uh, I remember driving over Independence Pass driving between Aspen and Denver and seeing them up at 12,000 feet. And it shows you the grandeur of nature. And and yes, humans have to do what we do, but we should try to disrupt nature as little as possible because it's, it's really in our souls we have a touch of nature. I mean, modern life is in a way encroached upon that, but in our souls we feel it. And when we connect with the elk and such, <laughs> it's like we're talking to a different part of ourselves. And maybe you could make the case our ancestors. I, I agree. And that Yellowstone Park, there's been a lot of articles about how the wildlife is returning. They were all scared off by the tourists, and now it is throughout the park like it's never been it's before. It's because of people like you, Steve, the efforts you make when it comes to your love of Mother Earth. Well, you know, I'm always working, RJ, but whenever I can take a few minutes away from pregame to help Mother Earth, I'm all for it. See, this is great. I'm not watching Cobra Kai season two like like two hours a night. That, no, that's not me. Or, 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 and now that we're going to give you some fake <laughs> acclaim, we're going to have to take some real heat. Tell us about your experience with the greatness of The Last Dance. Yeah, so Sunday night, The Last Dance, the most watched episode. I think it may be, you think in the history of the I think the ESPN? history of documentaries, I think is what they say. And I don't know, I no, I think Monday Night Football was getting a bigger rating. But probably a non-sports thing, it was the, the most watched. And so I'm, th- I'm thinking to myself, I'm coming in Monday, and I'm starting to read notes. I'm like, wow, everyone's talking about this Last Dance thing. What is this? <laughs> like, literally, I'm like... And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's like the lead story across the board. And, of course, you know me, RJ. The first thing I do is call up McKenzie and start screaming at him. Why didn't you let me know how important this was? Um, <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. You were doing something related to Mother Nature, I think, at the time. So, really, it, it would have been nice if you could have watched the most watched show of the weekend for sports fans. But it wasn't as important. Well, and the truth is all he was doing was printing out color printer um, 
mock drafts across the board Sunday night as I was making bets on the draft. So I wasn't exactly helping the planet. And I'd like to say I made a bad decision. Hey, I went with my mock draft work instead of watching this or and or. I didn't even make the decision. I was just, for whatever reason, clueless. Well, we often ask about that, but listen, here's what we know. When you make those color printouts, you go above. I mean, it's one thing just to recycle, but you drive it up to that special recycling depot that you, cause you're bringing it there. It doesn't take the gas from the big trucks. And I mean, again, I respect that. Let's get, you mentioned it though. That's the Fezzik lover of the earth. I'm RJ Bell. I'm not quite up to his level with that. We're going to talk draft, draft, draft. And then, including Fez and I on Straight Out of Vegas, had a blistering debate. Does size matter? Hand size. And does IQ matter? Tua, only question about Tua isn't just his injury history. Could be his acumen, his raw native intelligence for football. But there's a lot of debate. Does it, the test measure that? Well, we get into it pretty deep, and we're going to replay it because it was perfection, in my opinion. <clears throat> well, perfection on one side. <laughs> but we got a best bet from Esler, best bet from the Hitman, both in the draft, best bet from Fez. Let's start, though. The only non-draft story, Tom Brady, and then now there's Gronk. It's all about Tampa Bay. Yeah, let's talk about Tampa Bay and what an overreaction to the in my opinion, to the Tampa Bay season win, RJ, I thought that the season win number had already overreacted. Remember, earlier in the year, Tampa Bay, before they got Brady, was as low as 7.5. I saw a 7.5, I remember. Brady comes on board, and that season win is 9.5. And, and I'm like, wow, is that high. Going 10-6 and six or greater is quite a feat in the NFL. And now Gronk comes on board. And it jumps basically another half game upwards with a lot of the sharp books now dealing 10. So, Fez, go at 10, yes. So, a couple things. One, McKenzie, give me a list of every team that's within the range of Tampa. So, all the teams better than them when total-wise, but also the teams, let's say, from uh, 9 up. And what we'll do, Fez, is we'll do a little contest in which – We'll actually have a spread on it. We'll say, okay, pick them. Let's say both are 10 between Green Bay and Tampa, between blank and blank and Tampa. And it'll be kind of fun. We'll do like first reaction blink stuff, and we'll see what the tally looks like. Because I got a feeling I'm going to be on. I don't think I'll be on Tampa once, I don't think. But maybe I'll, you know what we can do? We'll give ourselves, we'll see how many teams there are. We'll give ourselves maybe two passes or something. So, the 10 is interesting, but I want you to get into the math a little bit. This is the kind of stuff we don't do on SOV, but explain to me how you figure how many wins Gronk is worth. Yeah, so first we start out with, and I'm kind of doing this um, as we speak, but I don't even well, have, have done, it written out. You, you did it already. I though, know, so. I did it already. So Gronk is See, worth— Hold on a second. Just because we're fibbing about the planet, your love of planet Earth, and in fact you probably actually have disdain for planet Earth— <laughs> Or are you neutral? Which would you say? <laughs> I would say neutral is an excellent now, descriptor. I think you have disdain because I think you see other people virtue signaling you and it, <laughs> and it pisses you off. 
I think some people like have <laughs> have gone overly politically correct green in the past five years. So you're not neutral. In general, you have more anger towards those trying to save Mother Earth than you do appreciation. I would say I'm more gray, <laughs> much more gray than green. Yeah, I think yes. gray is the right word for you. All right, so tell us what you already figured out. All right, so Gronk, how much is he worth? He's clearly no longer worth a full point. Remember, um, there's only two tight ends in the league that are worth a full point to the point spread. And to say that Gronk is going to be as good as Kittle or Kelsey, I think, is beyond a leap of faith. Half a point? Sure, he's worth half a point. You know what? I'm going to be overly generous, RJ. I'm going to say because of his familiarity with Brady, I'm going to say Gronk is worth three quarters of a point. All right? That's my starting point. How many games is Gronk going to play? Well, this we know. Gronk very rarely plays the entire season. He misses games. I think a reasonable estimate is that he's going to play 12 of the 16 games. Would you agree with the 12? Um, if it was an over, under, or 12. 12 or 12 and a half? 12. Hmm. I think that's a good number because I, I tell you this. I bet this is one of those examples, and you're going to talk about this, where I think if you went over under 15 and a half but had like, um, you know, big money on the VIG on the under, I don't think you could make it enough. So, like, I know he's going to get banged up, but man, you miss five games. That means he's going to have to have at least one major injury. And I give Grant credit, he's been banged up a lot. He hasn't had as many major injuries. You also got to wonder if they're going to use him judiciously. Because remember, and we didn't talk about this on SOV either, is Gronk was only going out in patterns. I mean, like, Belichick was using him like the, the, the Cadillac that the middle-aged, or not the Cadillac, the Corvette the middle-aged guy has. It has to be Sunday, and it has to be between 60 and 80 degrees, and there can't be a cloud in the sky. And that's how Belichick, you remember that Steelers game a couple years ago where they went to Gronk like three straight times? You're like, man, they could do this any time. Yeah, like at the end of the game. But yeah, but Gronk be in the hospital soon enough. So I wonder if Tampa's going to have the discipline to do that, like, you know, to restrict his exposure and make him more of a decoy or a blocker. If, if, if not, I would go under 12. Yeah, it, and I'm yeah. having a visualization of um, the Ferris Bueller's day off. It's, Gronk is almost like that car. that What was that? His buddy Cameron's? Dad had that car that was all in, cl- in that garage on the second floor that just never left the property. You know, I, I agree. It's like a car that hardly loses. Exactly. <laughs> you make a great analogy. Well, you said Corvette, and I think, oh. of a cor- I think of a Corvette as, like, sturdy. But I'm thinking more like a, like a roadster that breaks down every 500 miles. Thank, I don't know. Thanks for correcting that. I don't guys. know, RJ. I, no, listen, we, we couldn't do it without you. I just got my butt kicked so bad in our debate. <laughs> Continue, I'm looking, please. Uh, Continue. All right, so here are the numbers the last three years. Gronk in 2016 missed eight games. That was a lot. Then the, in 2017, two games. 2018, three games. So 13 games missed for an average of a little over four. So I said, look, he's going to miss four games. Let's go with yeah, that. I think it's a good number. That's what I'm saying. All right. So it takes a major injury, I think, for him to m- not play at least 12 games. Right. So three, three quarters of a point. I think that that's generous. That's on the high end. So this I concern- think that's way high. Exactly. Well, how many people do you have? I mean, like you've got your timing list with one and a half. And then how many people is on your list worth one point? I got about 20, 20 guys here. So you're saying Gronk is one of the 30 best players in the NFL? On offense. 
Well, that's the ones that are worth points. Yeah. Yes. Or well. let's say one of the most valuable 30 players in the NFL. Yes. That's, that means on average he's more valuable than the most valuable guy on any given team because there's 32 mm. teams. That seems high. So I would say he's half a point. But I, but to me, I'm kind of building a half a point in that he's going to miss some time, which doesn't make sense, right? It's per game. So let's say I could see you saying a shade above a half a point when he's healthy. So very uh, great points. Very conservative number, three quarters of a point, probably too high. Multiply it by twelve games. Gronk is worth nine points to the to Tampa Bay over the course of a year. Well, here's the problem: nine points. That sounds like a lot. That should really help the team. As it turns out. You need to add about 35 points to, to add an expected win. So nine is about, what, one-fourth of 35. He's worth one-fourth of a game, of a win, excuse me. And that's using optimistic numbers about his effect. So the fact that the market moved half a game is a complete overreaction in my eyes. I agree. I also think, and, and that math is interesting. We had to wait through a lot of the BS of yours, but that was good. No BS, RJ, just no, not the verbalizing B- the B- it correctly. <laughs> no, no, no. The BS part is is when you repeat about the car analogy. So, <laughs> but it was good. It was worth it. You earned your keep. So, and that's analysis I never really knew until you taught it to me. And, it, and it's very interesting to me, the way that you can take, uh, think of one part, you know, what's a player worth? And it does go to show the, just the idea of quarterbacks and just how much they're worth. Yeah, and, just and, – and sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, so, like, the most valuable guys, my most valuable running back is McCaffrey, worth a point and a half. Michael Thomas, most valuable wide receiver, point and a half. Even those guys, sixteen. assume they play all 16 games, that's still only 24 points. Those two guys, most important non-quarterbacks in the league, they're only worth two-thirds of a win by the math. Fascinating. And – I think it goes to show the wisdom of a team like Arizona. You know, go, maybe I would have kept Rosen and said, why not have a second dip at this thing? But the fact that they had the guts to say we went top 10, I think it was 10th, right, with Rosen the year before, and we're not happy with them, we're going to go number one with the quarterback. Because even a Chase Young – or whomever, let's say Chase Young becomes the best, him and Aaron Donald are the best defensive players, let's say, instantly. Like the most magical performance you can imagine. He's worth a point and a half. And he's worth, as you said, three quarters of a game. Now we do the math and say a really good quarterback versus, let's say, not a backup, but but a replacement level starter is probably going to be, let's say, let's say four or five points. You know, I sure. mean, it's now, a good number. you know, so I think three times is valuable. So if it took you three draft choices to get a great quarterback and one 100 percent certain draft choice to get a Chase Young type. And let's say Young became the best he could be. It still would be fair if you had a short if you could have Aaron Donald or you could have a 33 percent chance at an elite quarterback. It's pretty much the same decision. Yes, I mean, very, very, and, and you know, frankly, the one and a half just assumes that you have the best defensive player, and that's what I'm saying. Like, you and have, he has a big year. You know, he can't have like a decent year. He has to be playing like Jordan year after year after year, which is not necessarily repeatable. Yeah, and and you know, it's an interesting point because which one I'd never really contemplated is when you're good at other positions, 
that window is so much smaller than when you're good at quarterback. And Brady's the aberration, but, I mean, obviously we look at Drew Brees and we look even at Big Ben moving towards, and you could say, well, Big Ben, but if you look at Big Ben not in 19 but in 18, he had an amazingly good year. So let's call that his last good year. You're still getting 15-plus years. How often does any other position give you 15-plus years at elite play? Yeah, so maybe O-line, I'll give you 12. Yeah. Running back, what do you think, Four, five? Yeah, I mean, it Wide goes receiver, to eight? Yeah, it's, I think you're taking off some interesting stuff. And I think defensively, especially, now I think D Lyman can go a little longer, but cornerbacks, I mean, when did, when did Revis Island get shut down? No pun intended, shut down. <laughs> when did it get opened up might be the way to yeah, say it. And it seems to me that right about the time that the player is getting that really big contract, and he's, the second big contract. And he's it's 30, not when they're right? 20, It's not when they're 26. Yeah, he's 29, 30. It's just when the, he's getting a big contract like that is the time that he goes from being, you know, a dominant defensive player to being, eh, a little bit above average starter. Now, we had another debate. I'm R.J. Bell talking with Steve Fezzik, lover of all things green, money, and the earth. Oh, you see? Okay. Now... <laughs> We had another debate on SOV. It was, what does this mean about Belichick? Now, I know that I've probably swayed you a little bit on it, but give your original thinking that, hey, this could be a sign of the beginning of the end of Belichick. Yep. So my original thinking is Belichick is a hard ass. He's, it's his way or the highway, complete disciplinarian, and obviously, New England, very, very committed to winning. The team was 9-1 and last year. Belichick's yelling at all his players after a win. But you know what? Look at the rings, baby. Look at well, the first championships. first off, maybe he was right to be yelling at him. Yeah, finished 3-5. Yeah, good point. Uh, maybe he, he was aware before Somehow anyone Belichick else. might be kind of smart at this football you know, thing. There's no, there's no doubt. But I think that that's fine. Hey, winning by itself is fun. Winning championships is fun. Going deep in playoffs is fun. And I have to question, should the Patriots start this year? Say they start four, three and six. Will there be a backlash against that uh, attitude where, you know what? Well, hold on. You're saying something different. Huh. Is What you were saying on the show was, since the projection is that this isn't a great Super Bowl contender, that are people going to want to put up with the pain of Belichick if you don't have the rewards necessarily right there for the taking versus if the season starts really bad? I'm not saying there's not a relationship between those two scenarios, but they're different scenarios. Yes, and I if I if I didn't explain that I should have that week one it's totally different the Belichick method hey it's worked for so many years but then if the Patriots start two and four is that the point that all of a sudden it's like wait a minute we're going nowhere why are we working harder home, than everyone else I should go home to my temperature set at seventy one degrees and just put my feet up Domino's pizza um, yeah, just put my feet up thirty three percent delivery they just leave it on the doorstep I don't have to deal with anybody there it is uh, the best thing is just try to minimize the effort right like whatever effort can I do less yes <laughs> I mean there you go is there any way I can somehow you know like not watch that documentary if I could somehow <laughs> avoid the pain of watching Michael Jordan rare footage. You know, it's, what, what's applicable to this, i got to bring this up, is that we, uh, we were in contention early in the Super Contest this year. And then we fell off 
Um, and we really were, we didn't have any real chance to get back in and, because it's winner take all. And I was like, RJ, it's really not important. We got no equity. And you like, like, I, I won't say you lit into me, but you're like, Fez, this is an important project. And, you know, we finished strong down the strong. stretch. We finished amazing. And you emphasized, like, look, it's all what, what all about the process. And just because we're not going to win first doesn't mean we owe it to everybody well, that, to put our best foot too, forward. Well, that's true, too, because they would take, you know. And to me, I hate losing, too. I mean, I just, there's certain, and I do think in that Jordan, and we won't overtalk that because next week, there won't be near as much to talk about, and we'll talk about episode one and two and three and four in aggregate. I don't know if Steve's going to have the discipline to watch three and four, but hopefully. Um, but well, what I would say is this. I find it to be so fascinating that the thing people were most confused by, and they were like, I don't know. I like MJ. I know he wins, but this seemed a little goofy to me, was the following. The way that his second season, he played uh, in his third game. He broke his foot. He was out for multiple months, and he started saying, I want to come back. I want to come back. Now, Chicago was in the playoff hunt, but they were like 10 games below 500. But, you know, eighth seed and all that. Now, the number one seed was Boston, and they had one of the greatest seasons in history. And they ended up, I think, with 15 losses. Yeah, I think that is it, uh, 67 and 15. So, and this was when Bill Walton played 80 games. So think, your sixth man is one of the most talented basketball players in history who literally led a team, Portland, to a championship on his back. You know, not that long, well, you know, I think eight years or so before that. And that was going to be the reward. The doctor told Jordan, there's a 10% chance you'll never play again if you heard it. He said, 90% I will, let's go. And people are like, that's crazy. And even I think that's not crazy, but I would say, boy, it's one thing to think it's going to hurt. It's one thing to think you might have to rehab nine more months, you know, eight months. But if you never could play again, now you get a little more deliberate about it. Jordan's like, I don't care. I got to go. I got to play. And the fact, and this is something we said on SOV that no one else did the work on, if you look at the... 36-minute stats. So what does that do? It effectively means if you play a ton of minutes, the counting stats are going to be a little inflated, so that it takes them down. And if you don't play a lot of minutes, it takes them up. Right? So if you play 18 minutes and you average 10 points, you're all, you know, your 36-minute stats is going to be double that. So if you look at Jordan's 36-minute stats for that second season in which he played 15 games at the end and three games at the beginning, so 18 total games, it was the seventh best scoring number in the history of the NBA. So as much, And that doesn't count the playoffs that he went to have maybe his iconic game, if not certainly one of his five. 63, he puts up 49, and then 63 against Boston in Boston. Three-game series, or it was a five-game series, by the way, and... Amazingly, amazingly, you could make the case, would Jordan be Jordan if it wasn't for those two games? Because when Larry Bird says something like, and this is verbatim, so it's not like, that wasn't Michael Jordan, that was God disguised as Michael Jordan. The guy's in his second year. 
Imagine LeBron saying that about someone their second year. It just is almost incomprehensible because no one's that good. No one's ever been that good. And Boston ended up being 50-1 and one at home that year, counting the playoffs. Do we know who beat them? Mackenzie, can you look that up? Fit, wh- Let's say it's New Jersey. <laughs> what, what does it mean? It's just uh, they almost went undefeated. That's I know, crazy. but what does it mean? I guess how much they lost by would be interesting. Lost by eighteen. The Portland Trailblazers got them. How in the how did that happen? Eighteen. That is interesting, <laughs> Faz. What what game was that? Uh, it was late, uh, middle of the season, December sixth. What the hell happened the night before that game? <laughs> Must I, have been someone's birthday. I mean, it wouldn't have been someone's birthday. It's so funny how your mind thinks <laughs> that a birthday would like something. I mean, this guy, I never realized. I mean, were you like this before, like at Transamerica, where you would like, would you take every day off you could? Would you like shut your door and take naps? I mean, how did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Well, I always worked late at Transamerica because for a while I was living in Hunt- Huntington Beach and it was such a long commute. So literally I would stay in the office some nights till like 7, 8 at night. And people are like, oh, this is like the most one of our most committed employees. To be fair, I oftentimes would go to the gym from 5 to 6 and then come back. Oh, that's back. what I think of with you is I'm thinking he's working out like a fiend. And then I come, would come back and I'd wait for all the traffic to die down, work till 7.30 or 8. And so, and then, of course, blast out as many emails as possible in the last half hour in the office. Figuring to let people know you're still working and stuff. Well, if they look at the time. So your whole life, I mean, let me ask you a question. At what point did you conclude that deception was the most important part of life (laughs) i'm serious it's like you constantly are trying to make the uh, the perception of you different than now thank god i'm around all right everyone knows i'm not putting my brand behind any bs but if anything it's like this is like you going in front of the grand jury every week so i mean credit due for that but like, did, did you, did, was there something about you being denied girls, you know, for a long, 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 long time? Was there anything about that that made you think that somehow that you inside must be as good, if not better, than the guys getting laid? So there must be something they're doing to deceive the girls, and that's deception's the answer. I'm guessing it was some variation of that. You know, your, your logic is, is strong. There's no doubt about that. I, I, it's interesting you use the word denied girls. Um, well, you wanted them. You yearned for them. I think like rejected or not even, you know, not exactly. even getting. But your, your needs weren't being Not met. even getting to the plate to swing. I, I don't know, know what the right verb is here. Yes. But you figured there's two things you can figure out. One is that they're right and I'm less than and I deserve to be isolated and alone. Eh. Or... I'm great. The other people aren't as great as me. They must just somehow be deceiving them. And thus, I will put my God-given intellect to only two things, helping Mother Earth and fooling people, (laughs) who in this case, you're doing both at once. Well, let's be honest, RJ. If I was completely honest the first time I ever met a girl on a date, do you think I would have ever had any success? Yes. I think Hmm. eventually you would have, and you would have probably gotten married, and you would have been very happy. Hmm. All right. That's what I think. What do you think, Mackenzie? I think you're 100% right. There's yeah. always there's, there's someone for everyone, especially someone with the talents of a Steve Fezzik. And somehow we found, he found his business partner. <laughs> the person that 
obsesses over because I've had a microscope up my butt so long in this industry. It, there's been no choice, though I've always was inclined to being honest because I understood why. You know, I guess for me it's easier, right? When you have the academic background I have, you could have, or me, I'm not you, me. I could have made, you know, so many different ways I could have made a decent living that if I was going to lie, I might as well have been worth like a billion dollars. I wasn't going to be, I, I didn't see any, clear, I'm not sure, I don't think I would have, but I don't see, any, I didn't see any clear path to being a billionaire from lying. So why not just tell the truth, right? Because I'm going to make money telling the truth regardless, in whatever I do. So to me, it was an easier decision, I guess, because I didn't care about having so much money and I had a lot of ways to make some or decent money. But I guess the thing is, and, and I say this with not trying to sound cheesy, the only thing, and we got great feedback on some of the romantic stuff in the last couple of weeks, so I'll keep it quick, though. The only thing you can be the best in the world at is being you. And any effort that you make to deceive in that regard, you got to ask yourself, is this a transaction or is this something that's ongoing? Because the theory is if you're trying to make a girl... And in, in, in again, it's an old school parlance, I guess. Remember the Stone song, uh, <laughs> the great song Satisfaction, where he goes, I'm going around the world, I'm doing this, and I'm signing that, and I'm trying to make some girl. But she says, baby, you better come back maybe next week. Can't you see I'm on a losing streak? Which is actually code that I never understood for her being on her monthly, which is interesting. I read about it years later. Uh, it's an interesting way of saying that, but anyway, you're trying to make some girl at a bar and it's like, if it's a transaction, then deception, everyone's got to decide how much truth they want to tell, but at least it, I can see the utility of it. But if you're trying to date someone and that's the only way you're ever going to get married is dating them, then that feels like something. If you're deceptive, where does it go? Right? You either have to keep that deception going forever or eventually you tell the truth and then they're going to feel maybe they would have accepted that truth, but not when they were lied to for X period of time. So I just need to explain. I needed to explain to them. Now, look, as soon as September 4th rolls around, you know, I'm in Nevada every weekend, so I'm not going to be available at all Saturday or Sunday because or from maybe September- or maybe they would have came in and. Red, you know, hung out at the pool in red. Maybe they would have wanted to hear, walk, like, walk around and be your, your, you know, assistant to learn to be fat. That's the thing. You know, you're right because that actually is what happened with my wife because I met her the year before I moved to Vegas. It was my last year in L.A. and she would, she was like, great, you know, go do what you got to do. And I'd come home and magically, like, the refrigerator was stocked up. The place was clean. I was like, wow, this one's a keeper. Sounds like a dream. Sounds like a dream. Okay. Mackenzie, you got the list, right? Yes, I do. All right. So what I want to do is give me the team and then give me their win total. And Fez, we'll make it where if it's a team, it's 11 and a half. It's minus one and a half, right? So we'll just put a spread on it. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Go ahead, Mackenzie. So the team's above the bucks. One at a time, please. Uh, the Chiefs, 11 and a half. All right, so Chiefs minus one and a half against Tampa. I'll take Chiefs. Me too. Go ahead. Ravens, 11 and a half. <sighs> you know, this segues into the question of how the Ravens are going to be affected by this 
break or, or the COVID stuff. Because on one hand, and Jason Whitlock is the one that talked about this, the idea that when teams would typically have been practicing to kind of have the sophomore slump for that defense, they're not going to have time to do it. That's mm, fascinating. Yeah. Now, the other hand is the kind of work it's going to take to start the Ravens isn't going to be practice time. It's going to be noodling time with the, the scheme guys, and they have more of that time. I don't know, but I tell you this, I'll, t- I'll take Harbaugh, so I'll go Baltimore. Baltimore for me as well. Next to the Saints at 10.5. You know, this last year of Breeze, but they got home court. And then they just today we got news. Why don't you give them the news today, Fez, with the Saints, and give us your thoughts on that real quick. Yeah, so Sean Payton, obviously he has COVID-19. He's recovering, and he – his, the entire city of New Orleans has been hit hard, and he let all his players know, you know what, we're not going to have any OTAs. We're not going to have any football activities. I'll see everybody in July be ready to play football. Now, we don't know for sure what the situation in July is going to be, but it's. I think there's an advantage here of, of getting away from the idea of every week wondering what's going to happen the next week. I kind of think psychologically that helps. It's a veteran team. Um but, Faz, you got a theory there's a certain group of cities that because they were hit harder, it's going to be more of a negative for them. Yes. So who has COVID hit the hardest? Obviously, New York City, also Chicago, but certainly Louisiana and New Orleans, for whatever reason, has had the most cases per capita uh, other than New York. And because of that, the distractions of daily life. I mean, in Vegas here, we're um, the casinos are shut down, but people are still going back and forth. I think it's really difficult in cities like New Orleans just to get your hair cut to do anything right now. And RJ, I got to be honest, New Orleans might be in a unique situation. So they've got all these COVID problems, distractions, and also, what if they play the game without fans? New Orleans, a big part of their big home field advantage is how loud that stadium is. What happens if they have to play their home games without fans? So is it fair to recap by saying the areas with the most cases is going to cause just most more distraction for the team? Yes. Okay. So you've got that effect negative on the Saints. You've got their home field being a bigger part of their performance than most teams, and the crowd being the big part of that, if not the biggest. Who do you take? Can I pass? Yeah, well, yeah we'll give two passes. All right, I'm going to pass this one. I'm still taking the Saints because I don't really believe what you're saying. I think you keep thinking like you think, and these guys, they, they're able to compartmentalize unlike anyone. Um, I think if it prevented them from practicing more than other teams, it would, I don't think the side. Again, you're a very soft person, Steve. I mean, just honestly, you're. I bench two hundred. No, no, I'm serious. You're emotionally as soft oh, as a yeah. marshmallow. Oh yeah. And it's like you, th- <laughs> you think these things are going to hurt these <laughs> these guys? It bounces off them like nothing. So I think that when the Katrina came and they got disrupted and displaced, that's a different story. That's that's a practical effect. I'm not sure how much practical effect there's going to be any greater for the Saints than anyone else. And I like them taking, you know, not waiting every week to see what's going to happen and just staying focused. And I also think Breeze, there's a narrative he's gotten old. The numbers don't back it up. I know this is supposed to be his last year. The numbers don't back it up. In in the next couple weeks, we'll talk about Breeze has not dropped off at the end of the year, as people have thought. He just hasn't. December uh, NFC Player of the Month because of his great performance, yes. This year? Uh, last year, yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, this, this most last, recent year, yes. yes. 
Yeah, there you go. I mean, hey, I can get the year right, RJ. No, <laughs> look at here, me. Here's the thing, though, is you could say he hurt his hand, thus he had the break, and it's a valid point. I think the year before, and even you know, I just don't see it. And people are saying arm strength. He just had the you know the thirty out of thirty two or whatever. And maybe there's going to be a drop off. He's getting older. I just don't think it's as big as people think. That's my point. Now, when's the wall come? I don't know. So I'm still going Saints over Tampa. Go ahead, McKenzie. Next up, the 49ers at 10.5. Yeah, I'll take Niners. Yeah, Niners minus a half. Uh, boy, is that a good bet. Now, I find this, yeah, really. I find this interesting. The idea that San Francisco is looking to trade back in the draft, which to me is counterintuitive to want more picks. And I said on the radio it was, and guys, we're doing it. I mean, each day is like the best you know, hour with commercials of sports betting content. And the podcast comes out, so you can listen live. We're now on 225, not 220, not one time, not two times, 225 FSR stations across this great nation, as I say. And then you also can listen on iHeartRadio. You can listen on podcasts. Just search RJ Bell, et cetera. Okay. To me, it didn't make any sense that a team so deep would want more draft choices. But then I found out they don't have a pick in the second, third, or fourth round. So this is them wanting to just have, like, if they get the right offer, like a normal type of draft. So it makes a little more sense to me. We'll see what happens. I'll go with 49ers, though, too. McKenzie. So after the Bucks in the season's win total rankings. But if it's still 10, we'll call it even. So go ahead. The Cowboys are at nine and a half. All right, I'll take the Cowboys plus a half a game. Yeah, I'll take the Cowboys as well. They should have won 10 games last year, somehow won eight and eight. The, yeah, maybe even more they should have won. But I will say this with Dak, this is a bigger problem than people are making it out to be. And we'll talk about that next week. Next up, the Eagles, nine and a half. Oh, I'll take the Eagles. No brainer, I will as well. Who do you take, Fez, real quick? Eagles, Cowboys, pick them. <sighs> Eagles. Oh. We might have a bet there. We'll see how Dak signs. All right, continue. Seattle Seahawks, nine and a half. I'm going to pass this one. I, I really think they were a fugazi last year. I agree they were a fugazi, but I'm going to go on the body of work. Russell Wilson should win 10 games every year. I'll take Seattle. The New England Patriots at nine wins. Oh, I oh, that's easy. I was just going to say, McKenzie, is uh, you sound distant from the mic, so get up on that mic or something. I don't know why. Um, I, I, I think New England is going to do excellent. I, you know, I like them to win the division. Uh, you know, so Fez is a big anti Belichick guy now. So, <laughs> yeah, you don't make money going against Belichick. You know, apparently I'm, you do. Uh, I am going to pass. This will be my second pass on this one. Anyone else? I, I, all, all I'll say is I'm really excited to see the Bucks this year. This is just fun stuff. Well, thanks for that comment. McKenzie. That was excellent. <laughs> we got four more teams, McKenzie. That was excellent. <laughs> No, I think that's it, right? Um, there are a couple more nines out there. Yeah, that's enough. Okay. Any real interesting nines? I think uh, all three of us would say that the Vikings should probably be favored over the Buccaneers in win total. Yeah, though, let's be honest. You get rid of your a good receiver. Now they lose some defensive guys. Well, I just want to make sure I'm not stuck in the past about how good that roster was. But I agree with you. It's just I want to dig deeper on Minnesota. Yeah, I think we're we're betting on Zimmer. If we're betting Minnesota, we're not. We're, we we were betting on that roster. We no longer are. Correct. And again, we got to yeah. see. I mean, I don't. You know, I haven't broken down all the moves yet. So, all right. I want to talk a little bit about the draft 
itself conceptually. And then we're going to get into specifics with best bets. And then we got a ton of stuff after this that you can choose to check out. Um, and the nice thing is, and Mackenzie, why don't you, you know, actually, Matt, why don't you coordinate? Now, this is a sign Mackenzie's doing a good job. There's a task that's kind of menial that is more in Matt's area. I would typically give it to Mackenzie, but he's been killing it lately. So, guys, you should know, expect some good stuff from pregame.com research because he's been doing a hell of a job. All right. So, menial task for you, Matt, is the fact that we're going to put a couple clips on the end of this, we'll know what the time length of them is so what we can say is though we won't know exactly how much is at the front if there's you know whatever podcast one's doing but we'll be able to say okay from here on and we can write it in the description so after rj you know after rj says like you know the end you know what will we say won't be end of the live show because that was um uh, oh once rj says here comes the bonus stuff is what I'll say at the end here is, is what it can be is it can be that the first thing after the bonus is this. And then nine minutes later is this. And that way, if they don't like the first bonus thing, and they want to jump ahead. We'll tell them the length of each of the bonus things that they can jump ahead if they want. Got it. Does that make sense? Yes. Cool. Cause the first bonus thing will be immediately after I say it. Second bonus thing will be that length of time of it. Yeah. So there'll be, if there's like three bonus things, there'll be two different numbers that they can jump ahead to. So, Fez, I got my theories on what, how this draft is going to be affected. Let's get yours first. So, it's obviously virtual, COVID-19 caused, obviously. Well, what do you think the effect is on these teams? I think it's going to be much more difficult to execute trades with everyone in their, working out of home, essentially, and not having a war room where people can go back and forth And because of that, it would surprise me if we're going to see a whole lot of activity trade-wise versus previous years. You know, what's interesting to me, RJ, is I actually think that um, some teams may well be looking more for— I was thinking about betting offensive players versus defensive players because I think with— Well, I think it's the opposite. Interesting. Interesting. Because to me, it feels like defensive players, there's not as many stats, and thus you can just go by— uh, you can go by the intangibles. This guy's six eight. He's this. He's that. Uh, wow, that's interesting. What what is the if you only have limited information? Is it offense or defense that feels like the safer bet? It feels like there's a wider range of measurables that can succeed on offense. There's more intangibles, and it feels like on defense, it's more about raw strength and raw numbers. Yeah, and. If you're just talking about making the absolute optimal pick, I agree with you. However, if you're talking about I want to keep my job and I'm making the decisions here, I think that organizations. Oh, see, I disagree. It's hard to tell if a defensive player is doing well or not. Mm. Right? How often do you hear about a big defensive bust? Yeah, it's a good point. Like the Raiders picked that number four guy from Clemson, and you barely, and all you hear about is how well the Raiders did in the draft, and and they didn't, and they hardly focus on him. I think he got hurt, right? Yeah, and yeah. He was he out for the whole year, yeah, I think. Right. So what I, what I'm saying is, is that it, I think defense. How I think you probably make a more predictive pick on defense, and I also think it's a safer pick. Hmm. Huh. And I was thinking about getting the you know the excitement of the organization and the fans. Obviously, the fans all want to see offense. Well, that's the case every year. Yes. So why would it be more the case this year? I, I 
I was thinking with there not being any games and everyone paying so much more attention, I know the draft is be, or has already blown up, but it's going to be so big this year that because of that— Well, the, we should bet this one, you hmm. and I. Hmm. I'm waiting. Well, like, whatever the market odds are, we'll do a nickel. Yeah, okay. All right. You, you want to do a nickel? Sure. Oh, pick, pick, you, you know what? You pick it. You pick out the book. You pick out the line. Well, no, I don't want. I went to market. I, think, I, I, I believe. So, I McKenzie, believe the offense is like minus a half, but we can look it up. Mackenzie, Mackenzie, just look up three books. And by the way, Mackenzie, I got an idea. You, we actually did some pretty deep draft analysis when it comes to trades and when number ones and all that stuff. And I had an idea. You, you know, finished it off. Um, do you think that's interesting stuff? Yeah, I, I think the development over the last couple of years in, in the higher trades. No, no, I'm not asking you to talk about it. I'm asking if you think it's interesting. Yeah. All right, so here's what we'll do. As a bonus for how well McKenzie's doing, we're going to add even another bonus piece at the end of this where McKenzie gets the mic and he gets to present this information. And we'll see what the draw. Oh, my God, who's going to be turning off at that? It would be, be fascinating to look at the numbers. So if you like McKenzie, just let it play even if you're not going to listen. And it will look like that it played. <laughs> what do you think? I like it. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope everybody uh, enjoys my in- uh, insights on this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think, Hollywood, Matt? I think they'll be deep and thorough. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. All right. You just can't mention Yale, whatever you do. <laughs> yeah. All right, Faz. So I, we'll, let's, we'll do 300. I don't want you to feel too – I know you're tight on money. I don't want you to feel too much pain. I mean, you got a nut and a half, no pun intended, when it comes to your, your monthly. Hey, I haven't lost a, a bet in the past three and a half weeks, though. And you haven't lost XFL ever. Oh, God. I missed the All XFL. All right. So we'll get – remember, Mackenzie, I, you know, actually, I don't mind if you go to the square of books because it's going to lend towards offense. So, yeah, <laughs> let's get a nice sampling, like the bet on lines and then also the more serious books. Get a nice sampling. Will do. All right. Are you pounding? No, not at all. I'm all right, pick up your energy. Woohoo! There we go. All right, Fez, here's my theory. So you, any other theories on your, your part? That's pretty much it. You know, everyone should know how much I care about this podcast. I'm sitting here with no air conditioning because I don't want it to cause interference. And I think my head's – I think it's like – I'm going to go check. Fez, talk about something else. I'm going to go check to see what the uh, – what, what I'm going to get into, go ahead. It's probably 84 in RJ's place. It's like 76 in the studio, and poor Fezzy's like the, RJ, if you saw me, like the sweat is starting to drip off me from the lack of air conditioning here. So, yes, it's really, I'm, a, it, I'm a marshmallow. I've got to be honest with you. It's really sick. It's really sick how you just want, you don't care about anything except your own comfort. Like, nothing matters. And that's what money is to you. Money's just a way to be comfortable. Right? That's all it is. Do I want a massage? Here, take a hundred. I mean, it's like, I'm surprised. I give you credit. You're not a big fat. If you were like 350, you'd be, I couldn't stand to be around you, to be honest. Not because I have a problem with heavy set people. It's because the combination of that sense of entitlement and being like so heavy that you don't even think you, like you're getting carted around places. 
It, it's not a good combination. We are a four to eight chicken wing company. If you don't eat chicken wings at all because they're unhealthy, you're ostracized. But if you eat 20 of them, then uh, come on, show some restraint, right? That's an interesting, that might be one of the most clever things, cleverest, most clever things you've ever said. Someone that says, nah, I don't, eh, oh, I hate that. But someone that's like stuffing them down and like putting them in their pockets and they've got like aluminum foil in there so they can take things that are wet like that home, that's gross too. Four to eight. Well, I, I stole that from you. T- you said that like five years ago. I thought it was Oh brilliant. my God, I don't even remember saying it. I did? Yes, you did. And I said, if you eat too little, yeah, I don't a, think you quoted four to eight, but you quoted. But if the I concept. said, if you eat too little, I don't like it. If you eat too much, I don't exactly. like. Exactly. That was br- Isn't it funny how I thought that was so good? <laughs> We've, it's like the old Jim Palmer story. Is Ron Luciano used to throw baseballs back, and the pitcher would, who's an umpire, pitcher would always say, "Nah, give me another one." He'd hide that baseball and throw it back like two <laughs> innings later. He said Jim Palmer was the only guy to throw the same ball back every time, and that's wow. That is interesting. I that was hey, listen though. The only way I get most of my great lines is you hear it, you you, and you apply it to different play. I mean, listen. That's what it is to be witty, is that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm surprised it stuck with you. You know, and Ron Luciano wrote a book. I don't remember the name well, of the, it. Uh, he wrote like three, The Empire Strikes Back. And then uh, the thir- that was the first one. That's the best one. But I heard the story. One of the stories was that a guy hit a, a hard ground ball right up the middle this was with no shift on. And Ron Luciano said he's seen that. That hit happened a hundred times. It's always a base hit into center field. And Ozzie Smith got to it and threw the guy out. And he said he wanted to call time, walk out there, and personally thank Ozzie for giving it that to him. Oh, Ozzie could had some range, baby. He and the way he would dive and and get the ball and bounce back up and make the throw. Darn, Ozzie was tough, man. All right, he couldn't hit much. Well, I'm going to check real quick, Fez. I'm going to start with the idea of risk. And like when you take risk, when you don't take risk. So maybe talk just generally about and you and you got into it about the idea of whose jobs, it, you know, like uh, you don't want to lose your job. But do a little risk talk and I'll be back in about 15 seconds. Yeah. So the whole idea of risk. Think about like if you're a stock selector, no one ever got fired as a portfolio manager for recommending you buy Apple, IBM, just uh, core stocks. And so the same thing is really true here. If you take a player from it's 82. 80 freaking two. <laughs> you take a, you take a uh, player from a pedigreed uh, program, uh, LSU. It's too hot for this. Let me move on. No, go ahead. Finish. Alabama, Georgia. If you take a running back from Georgia, how much um, negative um, press on, can you up. really get from taking that IBM type of selection? So all things being equal, if you think the two prospects are too close to call, err on the side of the bigger name program, right? Yeah, I think conventional stuff works. I think injury questions are just going to be harder to answer. So whatever the risk tolerance is, there's more risk because of it. You look at Tua, you know, the risks are piling up. Uh, I mean, he's six foot tall, right? I mean, like no one's talking about that he's shorter than almost every established quarterback. Six foot one in shoes. Uh, may, yeah, yeah, yeah just, like, shoes. just like Murray back at the draft it, it, when you towered over him, RJ. Yeah, at the Super Bowl. I mean, so to me, I'm, Murray's the exception. So maybe we can start saying, well, now we got Breeze. Now we got Murray. We'll see, right? But if you add up the injury risk, his 
Wonderlick score that we're going to get into, his size, a lot of questions there. And I find it so interesting how so many people felt like, like, oh, two is the smart pick. Burrow's the small sample size. And you haven't heard now that everyone's on Burrow, and I'm talking about the true experts, you don't hear the radio guys that are so smart talking like that. In, in a way, I respect that Tua would have been like an easy, like I don't understand how to grade quarterbacks, but here's why I think there's a bias against him, and there's probably a bias towards Burrow. In this case, so it goes to show you that surface stuff isn't always correct. Because I'm seeing some serious people not liking all the risk that Tua has. And finally, this idea with Tua that, oh, if he's fine, if you get a great quarterback and he misses a year, what's the big deal? But what is the value of a great quarterback on a rookie deal? It's really four years. That fifth year is expensive, even though the team has control. So you're taking 25% of the value, one out of four years, and throwing it away. And I'm not saying that that doesn't uh, that makes it where you can't draft a guy that might be injured. I'm saying that that is a big percentage. Now, you could say there's a better chance of signing the guy. So if he's great, he might be there 15 years. It's one out of 15. But how much is a great quarterback worth if you're paying not a premium, but you're paying a big price? Is he worth something? Yeah. But how much more? If you're paying 35 mil for a quarterback in today's dollars, is any quarterback really worth a lot more than that? And if not, isn't the way to win aggregating underpaying? That effectively, if you just added up how much um, you underpaid and then adjusted for how, the positional value, isn't that the best way to tell how good a team is? Which, you, to do that, you only can do that if you actually are able to measure how good a player is. And if you can do that, you can know how good a team is. Yeah, it's a great point because with the salary cap, the math has to work out here, right? That every, yep. every team is paying the same amount. So the team that gets the most bargains on those contracts, by definition, has to be the best team. Which is why when I talk about Dak, I'm going to talk about if he's smart, why sign with the Cowboys? They're in the worst spot when it comes to that. They've overpaid so much. Yeah, Zeke and Cooper already with the big contracts. There right? are vagaries when it comes to salary caps and next year and bonus and different ways to work it, right? Steelers have had cap trouble for 10 years, but they've always made it work so i do think it's not a hard hard cap but for the most part those first four years is when a quarterback matters if you lose one of them it's painful all right Faz, you want to talk about some specific players yeah well let's talk about tua he his over under where he's going to be selected was three and a half a couple weeks ago so tua's over under was three and a half herbert's has been five and a half what's interesting to me is that tua has fallen from three and a half to five and a half Herbert is still five and a half, so those two quarterbacks are both lined the same, and it makes sense. The option of betting on who will be the second quarterback taken in the draft is indeed Pickham at this point. Despite um, Tua being a monster favorite, like minus four hundred two weeks ago, and now it'll be curious to see if the money keeps coming in against Tua, and if Herbert does not wind up closing the favorite, I would expect that that would be the case. I do want to talk about Jordan Love the number four projected quarterback to be taken in the draft. His number was 15 and a half just about three weeks ago. And all the money has been coming against Jordan Love to the point that his current number, I see anywhere from 19 and a half to 22 and a half where he's going to go. And there's some talk. He may well even fall out of the first round. So what was apparently seemed to be a lock that we would get four quarterbacks in the first round. It's no lock anymore. In fact, latest numbers 
the money has been coming in on the under four, which is like minus 180 on quarterbacks. So a big move in the quarterback market. One thing that hasn't moved, Burrow has been the slam dunk number one pick. If you want to bet Burrow to be the number one pick, not to be the number one pick for the Bengals, but just number one in case small chance since he would trade, you got to risk a thousand to make a dollar. Probably a good investment, actually, if you can make that bet, especially on credit. Let me talk a little bit about matchups, player versus player. Oftentimes, you can get some of the very best bets when it comes to these sort of um, selections, wagers. Example, earlier in the year, Herbert, when he was projected to be the number three quarterback, and Love, they were matched together. I saw this at Caesars, and Herbert was minus 180. Last I checked, Herbert's minus 480. So it would really, really be a minor miracle at this point for Jordan Love to go before Herbert, and it shows what great value you can get on a bet like that. I do think you've got a pretty good bet to look at. I haven't made this yet, and I haven't made an official pick. Um, But DeAndre Swift, the running back out of Georgia— aptly named. I think that he is very, very likely to be the first running back selected in the draft and uh, the running back from Wisconsin. I think Taylor is the number two uh, likely selection, but I did have seen Swift against Taylor and Swift was like minus 180. I think that that's a good selection as well. And now sometimes you hate to be laying huge, vigorous amounts on bets like this, and we don't like to do that typically when we're playing money lines in games. But these selections are almost predetermined in terms of their ranges, and this is almost like Swift would have to fall so far versus his expectation and the Wisconsin running back to move up for them to overlap to the point where someone would take um, uh, the Wisconsin running back over Swift. Further, RJ and I talked about, hey, there's going to be a movement towards safety. We're not, we don't have all the information we'd like to have. All things being equal, we don't want to go ahead and make an, a very unconventional pick. So cases like that, Swift versus uh, Taylor, probably a real good selection. All right, Fez going deep, going deep, and a uh, lot of bets. And remember, Fez, you, you, you can take care of yourself. Don't overbet this draft. You know, that's really great advice to me and to everyone because it'd be so easy to say, hey, you know, we've been working on this for the past month, but it's still only one event. And so the deeper we go, the more selections we're making, arguably the smaller the edges should become. And don't think you suddenly can make 16 bets on the draft and come out on top. How, well, you could. It's just it's, it's tougher. Yes. How are you feeling about your four quarterbacks in the first round? Yeah. So to summarize, I feel horrible because I gave out over four quarterbacks. And I said, this is the ultimate free roll playing over four. This was when Jordan Love was supposed to be a top 15 pick. Well, it's, it's a free roll. All right. It's a free roll against me, RJ. I either push or I lose because there's going to be the three big quarterbacks. And then Jordan Love probably has what well, probably 67 percent chance to get picked and a fifth quarterback. Ha! Not going to happen. Those free rolls can be expensive. <laughs> and this goes back to what you're saying that oftentimes the sweet spot on betting draft information is later rather than earlier because the story can change dramatically in the final few weeks. Yeah, and something McKenzie is going to do some work and we're going to have it on SOV tomorrow which is from the take the five mock drafts that matter. Obviously Kuiper, McShay, etc. And then we're going to say what was the latest one? And what was the second latest one? So the two last ones. And what were the biggest moves? Who was the guy that was 32nd? Now he's going 13th. Those are usually information. 
And Fez, we'll, what we'll do is have a time to maybe talk to you before the show and see if there's any bets we can really use to exploit it. Because I believe that mock drafts then become very valuable. Yeah, I love it. The delta between the yep. draft three and four, whose stock is going up and whose is going down. Love and I'm it. not sure about three to four. I'm from, from version Z and version Z minus one. Like the last yeah, yeah, the last the last two mocks. Exactly. And you can basically throw the first, you know, the the the, the mock C, F, and J into the trash can. They don't matter anymore. Think of expensive for you. We got our odds here. So we shopped three books, defense, offense, took out the VIG. So you're betting 260 to win 100. I'm betting 100 to win 260. I take the defense. You take the offense. Done. All right. Let's do it. Maddie, Hollywood Matt, it's blossom time. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Did you have a special affinity, Hollywood Matt, for Blossom? Not particularly. Uh, there were only three channels in my house, so we watched it. Well, I think, I mean, just because of your cultural upbringing, I thought you might like Blossom. No, I, I liked Blossom as a character, but didn't watch the show religiously. A character? Yeah. What do you mean character? Like the, the- That's the real Blossom. Blossom. Don't try to act like my greatest crush in my life was fake. <laughs> That's sick. I, I didn't know that was the greatest crush. Oh, uh, maybe at a for a certain six month period. Oh wow, that's great. All right, Fez, hit us. I still love Liz Hurley. Uh, oh my god. Let's go with Andrew Thomas in the first round. Will he be a top ten pick? We're going to bet yes. The Georgia lineman is going to go as one of the top ten picks. Got to lay minus one fifty, so risk one hundred fifty to win a hundred. RJ, this is all about bad news for another offensive lineman. Last Friday. The Louisville lineman Becton. He's enormous. He is a 360-pound monster of a man. But he had a flagged test at the combine. Now, what, what was? The, did we get report on what the drug is? You know, that's interesting because Mackenzie and I have been researching. What the heck does a flagged uh, test result mean? Does that mean a masking agent? Do they list? Is that weed? I can find nothing other than it was flagged. So an irregular drug, t- uh, irregular yeah, something blood test. that's that's worse than nothing. If you're optimistic about him, yes. And so what has happened? Well, when before this news came out, Becton was projected to be a top ten pick. His over under was eight and a half. Now Becton is over eight and a half minus four twenty five. So the money is poured in against. Becton, he's expected to fall out of the, the top 10. So Becton's loss is, in my opinion, going to be Andrew Thomas's gain because there's four really good linemen um, in the draft this year. And you've got Wirfs, you've got Wills, and you've got this Andrew Thomas along with Becton. So the fact that Becton's projected to fall out of the top 10, I am extremely confident there will be three linemen taken in the top 10. And the books have not adjusted enough for Andrew Thomas to be like the likely recipient of the bad Becton news and moving into the top 10. So the pick is Andrew Thomas, yes, to be a top 10 pick first round. So it's under or yes, you know, the way you look at it, it's 10 and a half. Yeah, under 10 and a half is the way it's presented. Exactly, right? exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Is I think the 
way you said it is better, but it's important to double back to th- that other way. So it's a great clarifier. Now, yeah. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not crazy about many of your prop bets. They all feel like, I mean, they all feel like reaches, to be honest. It feels like you're taking public information and you're saying, well, the bookmaker's not adjusted right. Well, what's your gauge of that? Well, I mean, the, that's the, what I'm saying. The is, fact that Becton moved like so dramatically it just it makes sense to me rj that clearly the other linemen's odds have to change significantly and they haven't they haven't changed enough so how did beckton's lines change well beckton was over under eight and a half minus a dollar 10 in each direction now he's over eight and a half minus 425 okay and the minus 425 is to the over or yes later. yes okay and and there's no movement at all on the other one on thomas the under ten and a half was minus one twenty. It's only moved thirty cents, minus one fifty. Okay, that's now that makes some sense. It's just, I guess, the question is: I agree in general the benefit if there's a team. Now, listen, obviously there might be a team that doesn't like one of these guys, and then the other one gets eliminated in a way, or at least flagged, and you're going to pick him later. So now it's like. Maybe we don't take a tackle. So I don't think it's a one to one, but the question is what ratio of benefit does the uh, the guy you made the pick on get relative to the pain of the flag test person? I don't even know how to guess that, right? I mean, my guess is it wouldn't be more than half, but I, I, half sounds about right. Yeah. So if we get that, that's a good point. I'll agree with that. That. So if if we go ahead and have a three hundred cent move against, but are we really saying this should have been a hundred and fifty cent move to the benefit? Oh no, but but I I, I certainly think you should have had a sixty to seventy cent. But how move are we on how Thomas. are we coming up with that number? Is what I'm saying. Well, I think worse. Like I said, there's only four tackles that can go high. Yeah, but in now the draft. you're going circular logic. I'm saying your talent. The thing that you said that makes sense to me. And I want to zero in on that is the idea we saw this major move negative for the guy with the flag test. That's there's got to be some benefit to the other guy. And if the odds hadn't changed on the other guy, that would have been enough for me. But the odds have changed. Now, how do we gauge how much they should have changed? And to just say, well, it's got to be 60, that, that doesn't cut it to me. Well, I think in many ways of the teams that picked the third, ta- the second, third and fourth tackles, all these guys were real close together. Um, Worst is likely to go number one, but you got Wills, you got Thomas, and you got Becton. So you got three linemen that are so close together in terms of who is going to go second, third, and fourth. And it's almost like a sit and go where I just eliminated effectively Becton. I feel confident that both Thomas and Wills are going to go second and third. So obviously, there's limit limits, limiting limits on these bets. If you and and you know as usual, full candor. If you could bet as much as you want. What percentage of a full unit would you, you know, let's say a unit is your normal bet, NFL season, you know, best game of the week, you're betting X. How much would you bet on this one? Would it be like 1.5X, 0.5X? What would it be? 1.5. So you actually like this better than a typical NFL pick? Yes. Mm. 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 How's the lines move? Like you've given out how many picks? Like four or five of these props, right? Yeah. So the uh, I gave out. You mentioned the quarterbacks to go over four. Not That's good. moved strongly against me. Now, the good news, I gave out Jordan Love over 15 and a half. So that's uh, Jordan Love's currently at like 21 yeah, you're and a half. You're hedging yourself out at a short no, loss. It, well, well, 
I'm, I'm, I made a horrible bet, and I made a great bet. So I'm likely to go and one. What's the, what's the love one now? Love's up to like 21 and a half. Okay. So yeah. I, obviously I'm desperately rooting for love to fall 22 to 32 and go 1-0-1. Oh, um, yeah, that's a, a good point. I gave out offensive linemen to go. But in. if you could have both those bets or neither, you'd take neither. Yes, I would take neither. Because there's a better chance. That's an interesting point. You say neither, I say neither. Is it's an interesting point though? Is there is a way to win if it falls between? Is it twenty three and thirty two? Anywhere from uh, twenty to thirty two. Yes, I win. So the over under is eighteen. I'm confused. What's the over under you got? I played over fifteen and a half. The current over under is twenty one and a half. Okay. So what you're saying is, if he goes sixteen to thirty two, then I win. And then. And then he's the fourth quarterback, so you push the other one. Yes. So you're. I actually think you should want if you could choose to have one or neither or both or neither. I think you take both because I think the odds of him going in that corridor you just talked about is greater than him not being drafted in the first round, right? And that's a. But I guess that's a two. In that case. What's your net units at that? Uh, I, net? See, I see what you're saying because I have almost a hundred percent chance to win the over fifteen and a half, and I've got about a fifty percent chance to tie. No, and fifty percent chance to lose. What I'm saying lose, is, if, yeah, if you if, if if Love's drafted way early, then you got one winner, which is the four qu- or uh, a push and a loser. Yes, right. And then if he's drafted, but after from sixteen to thirty-two, you actually have a winner and a push. Yes. Okay. And then if he goes outside of the 32, you have a winner and a loser. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. So what would be what would be your choice? Both or neither? You know, you talk you you, you the logic, the math says both. Hmm, even though sure. I, even though one of the bets is horrible, the other bet is so good and I've got a I've got a real decent chance to get a push off of my bad bet of over 4. Yeah, I wasn't fully calculating that you could have lost both. Well, I guess you can't lose. I, I would have to do this, and I apologize. It is 82 degrees. <laughs> this hasn't been my sharpest pod. Um, and offense, right. one more. We gave out. I give out offensive linemen to go over six and a half. You know well. what I like to do because I hate. I I really pride myself on when something isn't easy that you fight through it. Because I mean, I'm not talking about like fucking war. I'm talking about little problems like this. Is um, so let, just give me the facts on – let's guy walk through this. This would be interesting, I think. And then we should be able to do it in two minutes. So give me the actual bets exactly and the lay prices and everything. Okay, so I played quarterbacks taken in the first round. All right, so it was four. And I, I think I, I laid minus – I think I played over minus 150. All right, minus 150 over, and it was uh, – you went over. So four is a push, three is a loss. Yes. All right, Okay. And then the other bet was? Jordan Love, mm-hmm. over 15 and a half, minus 110. All right. So now let's think of the scenario. Jordan Love goes early, early, early. All right? So you push. So if he goes before 15 and a half, you lose the over bet, and you push, so you're minus 110. Yes. Jordan Love goes before. And the assumption is that Herbert and Tua. I mean, I guess there's a small chance Tua doesn't go in the first round, but I think that's tiny. Agreed. Tiny. Okay. Now, let's say he goes between 16 and 32. All right? So you're winning the one bet and you're pushing the other, and thus you're going to be up a, a, a hundred in right. that case, right? Mm-hmm. And now if, it goes, if he goes after 
132. You still win the over, but then you lose the 150, so you actually lose $50 in that case. Yes. All right. So the question is, that give me the percentages as you see it. Don't try to figure out the math. Either. What do you think the odds are that he right now he goes before 16 and a half? 7%. What? All right, so let's do this. Give me, just give me 9 to 1. You got it. 9 to 1. Don't, don't, don't bet me 1,000, please. No, no, I'll bet you um, $50. Sounds good. 50 to win 450. Boy, you just made a bad bet, dude. You just made a bad bet. I'm, I'm being nice giving you the 50. I'd, I should let you know, if you think you still got a good bet, I'd write like 100 more. So it's up to you. Yeah, seven percent was was light. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I see, I didn't try to get the twelve to one, thirteen to I, one. I should have gone. I should have gone twelve percent. Yeah. Well, then you aren't so bad now. So, all right, Mark, make, get that down there, Mackenzie. All right. So, what do you think? The I mean, to me, it's almost hard to say it's not twenty percent. I call it fifteen. All right. So fifteen percent. I just love that. A, I like a tiger. I Matt, yeah, you wow. should get involved in this somehow. Rip them apart. I'm getting my calculator out. <laughs> All right. So you're saying 15% is where you landed fast? Yes. All right. So 15% of the time you're losing 110. All right. So effectively that's going to be what? Minus $16 or so? Okay. All right. So now how often do you think he goes in the first round, but at, you know, from 16 to 32? 60%. All right. So let's make sure this makes sense. That means 25% in the second round. Yes. Actually, I think that number's pretty good. So sixty, so that's you win sixty dollars in that case, sixty percent of the time a hundred, and twenty percent of the time. So it's going to be, let me see, here, a quarter, so twelve and a half dollars. Yeah. So under those math, you're minus twenty eight, uh, twenty eight and a half dollars, and you win sixty. It's a big winner that way. Yeah, I'm just work. I'm working out the math. My my mind is mush here. Because I'm making sixty, I'm losing twelve fifty, and on top, yeah, you're right. So I'm losing twelve fifty. I'm losing yeah. It looks like it's like thirty dollars. It's almost like you yeah, you get yeah. winning sixty and losing thirty. I mean, yeah, just rounding yeah. up. Yeah, I think your numbers might be a little generous. Maybe on that fifteen percent. Yes. All right, here's what's coming up, and this is an extravaganza of bonus content. First up, we got. In fact, we're gonna hang back and listen to this. The Hitman, he is a guru at this stuff. He has a draft prop for you. We have sound on it. Let's listen. All right, NFL draft, best bet. I've been talking about this prop for a while now, and I still think it has value even the day of the draft. And that's T. Higgins over 32 and a half, or in other words, not to be drafted in the first round at minus 160. Now, Higgins in February was considered to be like the fifth or sixth best receiver. But all we've been hearing from some of the top draft people is steam towards other receivers, such as Brandon Ayuk, Denzel Mims, and Jalen Rieger, while Higgins really isn't getting much publicity at this time. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he actually was one of the only receivers that did have a pro day. And that hurt him because he ran a 4-5-8 which is one of the worst 40 times for any receiver in this year's class. A lot of respected draft people think that there's even a possibility that Higgins could fall to the late second or early third round if things don't go his way. Plus, the overall depth of this wide receiver class is going to push a lot of receivers into the second round because teams know that they could get a very good receiver in the second or third round, so they're not going to use a pick in the late first round when they could get another valuable position. 
Love T. Higgins over 32 and a half for the NFL draft. Couple interesting things about the over 32 and a half. As you were saying, Fez, as we listen to the playback, you know, that's effectively is it the first round or not? But remember, teams love to take quarterbacks late in the first round. Lamar Jackson, why? Because first round picks, you get the fifth year team option. And having that fifth year control, do you really care as much about a wide receiver as a franchise quarterback? Then. What ends up happening in the second round, because there's 24 hours or so, it was a lot of trades usually. That first pick in the next round is very interesting. I don't think someone trades up to get a – so it feels like that in a way that you know, 29, 30, 31, 32 is going to be very quarterback-centric. It typically is. And then even that 33rd pick is quarterback-centric. Um, but I guess if he goes, if he doesn't go in the first round, even if he goes first, it still goes over. So it's only the first round that matters, and you see a lot of trade ups because of that fifth year. Fez, what do you think? You know, I I hadn't even thought about this. I'm going to give you full credit for this. DeAndre Swift is like supposed to be the first running back taken, and he's his over under is the same thing as Higgins. It's will he go in the first round or not? But what you said about contracts, who gets screwed more mm. by a big contract? than the running backs. So DeAndre Swift from Georgia, suddenly I'm thinking to myself, wow, if I'm 31st or 32nd picking in the draft, wouldn't a running back make the most financial sense? When did Belichick take Sonny Michelle? End of the first round. Yeah, that's about, no, actually, I hadn't connected that. That's very interesting. Is like To me, uh, I know that it's always better to be, oh, you know, if you like the over or whatever, it's better to be over 29 than 32, but I, I think the, la- the late, late rounds for the running back actually is very dangerous territory. I think those numbers are more valuable if you're looking to go under, for example, uh, or either way, they're more valuable as you go up more so than usual. Okay, next up, we're staying for this too. Diamond Dave Esler. Some call him Uncle Dave. He looks like an Uncle Dave, but he's really Diamond Dave. Why? You figure it out. Let's listen. I like it. I bet Tua under draft position five and a half. We went from tank for Tua to him being the third quarterback picked in a big hurry. And I think the truth somewhere is in the middle. But don't forget what he did at Alabama. He won an Orange Bowl MVP. He won a national championship. And I think big game experience really matters. At Alabama, he completed almost 70% of his passes, 87 touchdowns, 11 picks, all numbers better than Herbert, and against superior competition. You know, there's talk today about the Chargers trading into the three spot and taking Tua. Um, if, they, if, they, if they trade up and they take Herbert, Miami has no choice if they want a quarterback at number five. Both teams clearly need one. Uh, and, and I think most importantly is I should have bet this sooner. You know, his odds to go in the top five and a half just 24 hours ago were plus money when everyone was jumping on Herbert being the second quarterback taken. And, and now, two is a solid minus 140 to go top five and a half. You know, moves that much and this late aren't for no reason. So for me, it's Wonderlick be damned. I bet two are under five and a half. Ooh, ooh. Mackenzie, when do you record this? Oh, you recorded it today. Man. Under five and a half. I don't like that at all. 
I feel like the trend is going one way. Now, listen, they could be surprised, but you're saying there's a better than 50% chance he goes in the top five? It seems like 50 is the only possible pick he could go there. No one's jumping up to three or four, I don't think, to get Tua. Herbert's the favorite now, a slight favorite to go before Tua. Yeah, exactly right. And, and well, so if you well, think- what's the lay price on this exactly, McKenzie? There's, there's minus 110s out there. Wow. So you're saying the good number is minus 110. I think, RJ, if you if you wait on Tua, you're going to probably get plus money on this under five and a half. Hey, McKenzie, sounds like you like this. You want to bet me? No, no. <laughs> me and Fez are talking about this before the show. I mean, it's I, I get it how it's sharp because it's been such a big movement from three to three and a half, now five and a half. But I, I, I think it's movement for a reason, not movement, not overreaction. Remember, it's back to the idea of determinant versus predictive. This is information that's moving things. You Usually, if you move something and it's just predictive, it can go way out of whack. And I, I just think this feels like information to me. And then you add the you know the wonderlick, the, the six-foot, t- I mean, Lordy B. Dr. Chow. Uh, uh, yeah, Dr. Chow coming out saying 10% he plays this year or whatever. And again, Chow, uh, I've talked to him a few times. He seems nice. He was a team physician for San Diego Chargers. He likes attention. So does that mean he's wrong here? No, but, you know, he's motivated. You know, it's kind of like a hot take kind of thing. If he thought it was 20% and he made it 10, would that be crazy? I mean, meaning would we think, oh, my God, no way he would do that. So I don't, you know, but still, even if it's 50% chance he doesn't play this year, you you take him fifth? And I'm hearing that the Miami likes Herbert. So if it is, this is almost a trade. I think four and a half and five and a half is almost the same. And I mean, it's not the same. But I, if someone said Miami took a quarterback in the fifth position and they wanted to bet me even money if it's two or Herbert, I would make a monster bet it's Herbert. And as soon as Miami takes Herbert, you got to remember that the Chargers. Well, this is over at that. If they take Herbert, it's over five and a half. Well. The I mean you've you've got the, you've got the Chargers that are picking six and they have no incentive to need to draft up because they're gonna but they can't draft up after the fifth pick is taken. <laughs> I, I meant if if Miami traded with Detroit and got the third pick, why would they? Because they're worried that L.A. might trade up to the third pick to for get who? Herbert for Herbert. Also. So now they're all fighting over Herbert. <laughs> it's possible. But we're going under five and a half. It would not surprise me if Herbert goes third. Listen, RJ. he's called Diamond Day for a reason. I don't like it. I'll just say that. All right, you can follow him on Twitter, though, Dave underscore Asler, and I promise you he'll be spiking in my face <laughs> if he if it does win. I don't like You don't like either, right, Fez? I do not. Mackenzie loves it. <laughs> All right, now, bonus time. What's coming up? First, I don't even know what order we do it in. First off, I'll tell you this. I think we hold the Vegas talk. We had some Vegas talk earlier that we were going to pop at the end of this. I actually think this has gone long enough. So we're going to have extra bonus stuff. So we hold the Hollywood. You got that? We got it. We hold that. So that's one less bonus. But we're adding McKenzie. That was not a good trade. Let me tell you something. Um, could you hear that, McKenzie? Uh, I, was, I misheard. Uh, yes, exactly. All right. So next up, Fez and I in a vicious debate. Well, vicious for him taking punishment. It was, does it matter the Wonderlick. Now, Fez, this is interesting. You're known as a nerdy intellectual type. You went to Northwestern. Some people perceive that as a good school. My question is this. 
was this your effort to try to be amongst the people acting like the Wonder League doesn't matter, where you could seem like like the guys in the bar go, yeah, how do, pe- pencil and paper don't make a football player? Was that you trying to connect with that by saying your anti like intelligence doesn't matter on a quarterback? I was a victim of doing incomplete research, and I paid the price as you annihilated me in the debate. And by the way, the Society of Actuaries has contacted me. They want to take away my <laughs> fellowship that I earned over an eight-year period. And look that up, because I agree with you, Northwestern overrated. But it's hard to become a fellow in the Society of Actuaries, and you don't become a fellow by making— analysis like I did on the Wonderlick. <sighs> okay. Now, <laughs> you could have let that go about 30 seconds sooner. Now, <laughs> this proves we don't add it. Now, Dennis McKenzie, the first time ever, he, he just has the world as his oyster. Though, Matt, yep. let's give him a four and a half minute time limit. Got it. So give him a chance. Give him a chance. We but will. I'm telling the audience, give them a chance, but the clock is on them. It won't hurt that badly. It won't. The worst thing, it's like a bad song on the FM radio. I'm going to put the stopwatch on a big screen for him. <laughs> that, he'll be so nervous. That. How you feeling, Mackenzie? I'm feeling, I'm feeling ready. Just don't under your breath go, I went to Yale, I went to Yale, I went to Yale. I can do it. I went to Yale. Like, you know, none of that. Not at all. You talked a little bit about the Vegas, how it doesn't really matter where you went to school here. I, that's why I moved to Vegas, honestly. At the poker table, oh, it yes. doesn't matter. Yes, yes, I'm so sure. So you went to Yale, and then you decided to move to a city where that didn't benefit you. To play one, two, and then if you use your cards, you get a, a dollar, I think, every hour or so. And now now he has to answer every time Fezzik shouts McKenzie. I mean, <laughs> poor guy. All right, but he's on his way up, actually. I will say this. is uh, The trend line is strong, and all joking aside, Matt, Hollywood Matt, gets a lot of credit because those guys are becoming a hell of a team. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's impressive. I'm a horrible manager, and Matt is a good manager. I marvel when I see a good manager. I'm like, how in the heck does he have that patience? But he, I guess you have how many kids, Matt? Three. So it's like McKenzie's not so bad. No, no. He's almost like my five-year-old. All right, boys. <laughs> the good stuff's coming up. Or some, hey, Listen, don't miss this uh, Fezzik slaughter. But I will say this. Next week should be great. We're going to have the recap on the draft, obviously. But we've got some stuff I've been waiting because there's been so much other stuff to talk about. It should be an extravaganza. Talk to you next week. And here we go. First up, Fez versus I, National Radio, 225 stations. Poor Fez. And I want to talk Wonderlick score because I found it very interesting what Fezzik was saying on Monday. He had a day off Tuesday, but on Monday, what he was saying was the guy that graduated only seventh in his class and the other six people went to Harvard or Yale, though, in high school. And then he went to Northwestern. But somehow he wants to be a man of the people and say, well, intelligence doesn't really matter all that much. Now, what I, do, I know intelligence matters, so I'm not going to debate him because it would be too much too bloody for him. But what I will say is this. I'm going to let him make his case unmolested, unencumbered, and then I'm going to make mine. And, Fez, if you want to rebuttal, you can rebut or you can say no moss. So make your case that the Wonderlick is irrelevant. Well, look at how Lamar Jackson did. Wonderlick 13, RJ, 
MVP of the league is second year in, and it's not like Lamar Jackson's the only NFL quarterback that has not had success with very poor wonderlick scores. Dan Marino, Terry Bradshaw, Jim Kelly all had wonderlicks of 16 or less. There's four really good quarterbacks with horrendous wonderlicks. Okay, let me ask you a question. Is your career before gambling was as an actuary, is that correct? Yes. And what do actuaries do for a living? They basically tell the future. You give them incomplete and imperfect information, and they make projections about what's going to happen in the future based on that data. So if a guy walked in and he weighed 425 pounds and he was smoking cigarettes literally two at a time when he was talking to you, and he said, hey, look— my grandfather, and he pulls his grandfather in, same weight, same smoking, and his grandfather's 85. And he says, see, it's crazy that you're charging me greater fees for insurance because look at my grandfather. He's alive. He's doing the same thing. What would you say? Hey, we're already giving you a 5% discount for family no, 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 history. I'm sorry. So what, would you, what would you say? You, I would say you're 400-plus pounds. You're at a tremendous higher risk. i got to charge you a lot more. Except there's an example that shows it's not always the case. Yes, there's an exception to the rule. Exactly. So the fallacy of you naming a handful of guys that's been successful is pretty much the same as that, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's some facts. Is if you look at... Fezzik, his, the very own NFL guru, and he truly is a guru, maybe the best NFL guy there is. If you actually look at his top 15 quarterbacks, I happen to have the list in front of me. There's only two quarterbacks on his list with a lower wonder lick than 24. So it's 24 or above. And some of the outstanding scores on his list is Fitzmagic, 48 from Harvard, Aaron Rodgers, 35, Carson Wentz, 40, Matt Stafford, 38, outstanding, and then literally only two, Lamar Jackson and the other low one, Deshaun Watson, 20, which isn't even low. That's the NFL average. So you have one quarterback of Fez's top 15 that is below the NFL average. In fact, only Lamar Jackson, amongst every starting quarterback in the NFL, has a wonderlick lower than 20. So 20 and above for 31 of them, and below 20 for one of them. Hmm. Now, Tua had two scores. One was 13. That was spring of 2018 he took that test. Then we find out he took the test at the combine and got a 19. So let's say 19 is correct. Though I would make the case when you get to 13, you probably are doing some prep and trying to figure out how to take the test, which are our test-taking techniques that can help a little bit. But let's still call 19 the right score. So NFL average is 20. Eh, he's average. All right, let's call him average for the NFL except the average for quarterbacks is 25, right? Or at least that's what people used to think because there's an old number that people always use 25. We did the analysis of the actual 32 starting quarterbacks or projected at minimum. The average is closer to 28. So now you got 28's the average and Tua is 19. So you might say, okay, he's on the bottom range of average. But as we said, 
nobody except Lamar's lower than 20. So he would be the second lowest Tua would, second lowest Wonderlick score. Does that mean that the second lowest can't succeed? I would say the correlation is the higher the score, the better you do. But let's look at Super Bowl winners, because that's what we really want to do, right? Win the Super Bowl. Last 10 Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. Now, remember, Tom Brady is a bunch of them. This goes back like 15, 18 years. Last 10 Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, the lowest score anyone had was a 27, Joe Flacco. Every other score for a winning NFL Super Bowl quarterback has been 27 or above. The average score has been 29.6. So literally, if you look at Fez's top 15, or actually we'll do his top 16, his average score is a 29. So, huh, this is coincidental. The top half of Fez's group has an average score of 29. All right, the top half of all quarterbacks. NFL Super Bowl winning quarterbacks have an average score of 29. But somehow a 19 is no cause for concern when you're the second lowest. This is, in my opinion, I'm R.J. Bo straight out of Vegas, a great example of what Malcolm Gladwell talked about in The Tipping Point, which is, and this is a, a complex topic, but once you hear it, it will make a ton of sense. It's not that the, every point you get on the Wonder League matters, meaning if you get a 30 or a 35 How different is that? I'm not sure it's much different at all when it comes to quarterback success. But there is a minimum in most endeavors that if you don't reach that, it's hard to do it. So think about, for example, basketball, NBA. If you're six foot, you can make it. If you're six seven, you can make it. If you're seven three, you can make it. Are we sure the seven three is better than six seven? No, we're not actually. There's a certain point height might be a disadvantage if you're lumbering, whatever. But if you're four eleven, you're not going to make it. Where is that line for quarterbacks? I don't know. Is it nineteen? I don't know. Is it thirteen? I don't know. But it is a coincidence that in Fez's tops. When you have an average of 29, the top half of the league, and two is 19. When you have Super Bowl winners averaging 29, and two is 19. Now, the the question you might ask yourself is, well, maybe this is an old school thinking, and now things have evolved. Well, no, actually, the average score for quarterbacks have gone up in the last years from 25 to 29 or so, which shows you, if anything, the game's more intellectual. Now, Admittingly, and I'm going to pull back my point a little bit. Could he have had two bad days taking the test? Perhaps. Could it be that his intelligence isn't necessarily the type that shows up on the Wonderlick but would show up on the field? Maybe, but they build that Wonderlick around trying to make it applicable, but it's, it could be imperfect. Other people might say, hey, there's a racial bias, there's this, there's that. I'm not saying it's perfect. But in general, Fez, and let me ask you to conclude, if you were making a pick on a quarterback with the numbers I just gave you, would you say the Wonderlick would be something that was irrelevant? I would not. 
So I've actually changed your mind. No, Moss, RJ, and I got to tell you, if it wasn't for Lamar Jackson, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Let's assume Lamar Jackson decided to become a running back. I would just be blocking the punches with my face right now because I, I, there would be no one below 20 on this entire list. And, and it brings up an interesting question, is, is, and I don't know enough to know the answer about X's and O's. Is Lamar reading the defenses and doing everything exactly the same as the other quarterbacks, or is the run allowing it to be a more simplified game and again I don't know enough to know I, I know from hearing things that the uh, the complexity of the, when I say hearing things I mean reading listening to people the complexity of the reads is somewhat limited but I don't know enough to say is that a sign that if he was better on the Wonder League they wouldn't need to do that or is that a good decision because he's running the read option and he has to keep it simple I don't really know right but I'll tell you this Lamar Jackson was 29th on your rankings entering last season so it wasn't something that you were all that expecting. I mean, let's accept Lamar Jackson's performance. He deserved the MVP for the next year. He probably if I could have one guy for one year, if I could build the offense around him like Baltimore, he might be right with Mahomes as, you know, the two most valuable quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think I'd debate that. So the fact that one of the most valuable quarterbacks in the NFL has a really low score that's an interesting point. I wonder if it's a one-to-one example, though. You throw Lamar in a typical offense. Now, I know he doesn't need to be in a typical offense. It doesn't invalidate his success. It means if you're running, though, a typical offense as a team, how much does the Wonderlick matter? And I'll throw one more thing in to go against my position, to be honest, which is the following. You could make the case that the leagues are biased against low Wonderlicks. And thus, those guys could succeed. They're just not given the chance. And that's a point, too. So I, I, I try to show, all, you know, to me, I want to get to the truth. But if you just look at performance so far, Super Bowls, et cetera, Wonderlick seems to matter. You may have heard some smart media people say what a bad idea it would be for the Chargers or the Dolphins to trade up for a quarterback. Why trade up for a quarterback, they say, when we don't even know who's going to be good five, ten years down the line? Well, I've been looking at some research, first-round trades, and especially first-round trades to trade up for a quarterback in the last 10 and 15 years, and especially the last five years, and I don't think it's such a bad idea. Let's look into it. So first of all, trading up for a quarterback has become a lot more popular. For 10 years, 2005 to 2015, there's about one trade up for a quarterback per year. The last five years, there's been about two per year. Only one difference, but that's a 100% difference. Teams are seeing how valuable it can be to trade up to get their guy. Now let's go through the history of it. In 2016 and 2017, there were four knockout franchise quarterbacks selected in the first round. And there was two mm, semi-busts. And the four good quarterbacks that were drafted all have the same thing in common. Teams traded up to get them. So in 2016, we have Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. In 2017, we have Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. These players could be quarterbacks for their teams for 10, 15 years. That's incredible value. You would trade anything for that. How about the bad quarterbacks? Well, like I said, it's a risky business. The Bears traded a boatload to get Mitch Trubisky out of North Carolina. And he's not exactly been Michael Jordan in Chicago, no doubt. So... Teams were seeing how successful other teams were trading up to get their guy. And it's a copycat league. So in 2018, we see massive quarterback action in trades. 
Out of the five quarterbacks selected in the first round, four of them teams traded up to get. We have Sam Darnold for the Jets, Josh Allen for the Bills, Josh Rosen for the Cardinals, and Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round for the Ravens. All of these teams traded up to get their guy in that spot. Now, those were more mixed results. Obviously, Lamar Jackson is the MVP of the league, but the Cardinals, in retrospect, traded up to get Josh Rosen when they could have just sat still and got a guy like Lamar Jackson. The Jets traded up to get Sam Darnold when three or four quarterbacks in the same draft year are arguably better. So again, it's a copycat league. In 2019, zero trades for quarterbacks in the first round. So what do we make of all this? Unlike some people say, there is great utility in trading up for a quarterback. In retrospect, Andy Reid would trade his left arm for a chance at a guy like Patrick Mahomes. However, the Bears probably wish they could redo the Trubisky trade. So what do we, what do we trust? What do we think is going to happen? We think the Dolphins or Chargers are going to trade up to three or four and draft a quarterback? Well, if you just look at last year, then you'd say, no, it's not in vogue. Teams don't trade up for quarterbacks anymore. But if you look at the last five years of data and you realize there's been four knockout franchise quarterbacks selected in the first round and all four teams had to trade up to get to that spot, I think it's undeniable that the risk can be worth the reward. So despite what you may hear, five, ten years down the line, the team that took the bad draft day move, the team that's going to get an F on Kuiper's rating to trade up to trade value and get a Herbert or a two in the first round. Maybe the one smiling at the end of the day. Just ask the Chiefs, just ask Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans how they're feeling about their decisions. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday, NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week. Hey, I got a new podcast coming. It's called Theory. Don't you know? This is Theo Rossi. Our world is changing. For many of us, it'll never feel the same. The important thing to remember is that we are all in this together. And that's some of what I want to talk about on my new show, Theory. We're going to discuss the things that no one ever does. The real talk, the sacrifice, and the struggle that everyone goes through. My life has kind of put me in a unique position to see things honestly. This is Theo Rossi, and my new show, Theory, launches on April 8th, officially on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts.